Be good. <laughs> Hello there, friends. Welcome to the Monkey Tooth Podcast. This is Andrew. I'm with my wife, Tiffany, and our dog, Pele, in the Yucatan Peninsula at the moment. We're on our way out of Mexico after six months of hanging out here, and we've had such a good time. We're going to miss Mexico for sure, and all the friends we've made here, and all the great times, all the great food, the occasional bout of diarrhea... It's all going to be missed, sort of. We're on our way to Belize, which is, um, I don't know, people keep telling us crazy shit about Belize, but people told us a lot of crazy shit about Mexico, and they were largely wrong. So, whatever, we're walking into Belize with an open mind. Anyhow, I want to talk to you right away about our guest. Her name is Anya Kotz, and thanks to our pal Chris Ryan, I got the opportunity to spend some time with Anya. I met her about a year ago at the Motherfucker Awards in Los Angeles, and we've we've met a couple times since then, but uh, this was the first time I really got to just talk to her, because she's a busy gal and has a lot going on in her life. But while I was in San Francisco working with a friend, I spent a day with Chris Ryan, and um, he introduced me to great people, to Stanley Krippner and to... Last week's guest, Lloyd Kahn, and uh, gave me the opportunity to spend some time with Anya. And we talked uh, about a number of things, but one of the most important things I think you should know is uh, Anya's got two great podcasts. One, A Millennial's Guide to Saving the World, and The Horror Poor with her friend Aaron Lee Shaw. And in kind of both of those, she explores... Uh, a, a number of topics, but like identity, sexuality, your your personal sexual orientation, and and getting rid of shame, are I think thematically important to both of her shows. Uh, I like the idea of getting rid of shame. I grew up Catholic, and shame is a real thing. It can prevent you from doing good things and uh, enable you to do dumb shit. So anyone doing their bit to alleviate shame is a good egg in my book. And Anya is a good egg. I really like talking to her, and I think you'll enjoy what she has to say. She also gave me, at the end of the podcast, some advice, which I think I'm going to follow through with. So I wanted to introduce to our listeners an opportunity. Uh, We're going to start selling, and I hate to even use the word selling, and I really hate to use the word ads, but we're going to do a different sort of ad model. I, I do not want to sell pants or wallets or shoes or web service or shit like that. I'm not interested. I've, I, I could care less what pants I have on, on so long as they're comfortable. I have no brand loyalty, uh, but, but I can make fun of shit. No problem. I have no problem making fun of anything as long as it's um, not mean-spirited and is funny. And I don't mind talking about things that I genuinely like. 
So we're going to offer to our patrons and to our listeners and friends and families, if you want to buy a quote-unquote ad to say something, we'll probably say it. If you want to say, hey, Aunt Gretchen, I was um, in the kitchen during Thanksgiving and you farted and you thought you got away with it. Nobody knew. Well, I was there. You're busted. Whatever it is. I don't care. If you want to say that some company screwed you over in some measurable way and you want just a taste of justice, we'll talk about it. If there's a favorite thing that you like out there that you want people to know about, we'll talk about it and it'll be cheap. It'll be incredibly cheap. Almost like little public service announcements that you give us just a slight little bit of money to do. And um, hopefully they'll be funny. That's the idea. I've got a really funny friend in Denver, a guy named Brett Magdavitz, who's going to help me with this. So, uh, yeah, if you're interested, reach out to me at mtp.dog forward slash contact. Or you can reach us on Instagram at Monkey Tooth Podcast or on Patreon, Monkey Tooth Podcast, and we'll, uh, we'll talk about it. We'll do a little ad for you, and it'll be cheap. Trust me, you can afford it. Okay, uh, thank you to our patrons. You guys are patient, cool people. We've been sending out postcards and gifts to our patrons. Uh, if you want to be on that list, if you want to be a part of that number, people who get patron uh, postcards from us and gifts, go on over to patreon.com, and for as little as one buck per month, you'll get shit from us. It's that simple. And uh, I'm actually, we're going to start doing some patron-only content. Sounds so fucking weird, honestly, to say that. But we're going to do it because, I don't know, I feel like uh, patrons, you're given a little extra, you should get a little extra. So we're going to do that. And, um, yeah, we're, we're poised to uh, continue our journey, to continue with these podcasts. And um, we just feel grateful to all the people who support us through listening, through reviews, through emails. It's great. So thank you, thank you, thank you. I don't want to talk anymore now. I want you to listen to what Anya has to say. And um, I hope you're doing fun and interesting things in your world. Until next time, enjoy this conversation with sweet Anya. I am incredibly happy to be sitting in this van in San Francisco with my new pal, Anya. And I, I'm going to just start with some hard-hitting shit here. I want to know how and why I'm supposed to pronounce your last name. Oh, yeah, it's a, it's a thing. Okay. Um, so it's Kotz. Anya Kotz. It's, that's the correct pronunciation. Okay. Um, I can elaborate on why please, that's a complicated question. Please. So it's Kotz. It's K-A-A-T-S. My uh, family on my dad's side is totally Dutch. Okay. And when they came here from the Netherlands, um, America didn't know what to do with K-A-A. So they decided it was Kate's, which is completely illogical. Like if it's any sort of weird, awful sounding American pronunciation, they probably should have said cats, maybe. Just like A makes no right. sense. Um, but that's what happened. It's twice the A is normal. I know. I know. <laughs> Let's get um, into it. Yeah, so that's what happened, and it's actually been a saga for almost everyone in my family with that name, at least my brother and my dad. Um, my dad works in theater, and my brother produced music for a while, and mm. so we've had sort of like public, it's not just like our name in private, but we've right. had these sort of like public personas, <laughs> and so they both have changed the spelling 
of their name at different times in their lives to make sure that people said it Kate's. Um, Yeah, my brother wrote music uh, for a little bit and he just, his name is Mika is his first name. So we both have like both our first and last names are (laughs) ridiculous. So he spelled, decided to spell it phonetically and change it to K-A-T-E-S. Did he change the spelling of his first name? He did to Uh, M-E-E-K-A. Yeah. Um, but what's also wow. strange is that both my brother and I have lived in the Netherlands, um, and he moved to the Netherlands just after he decided <laughs> to change his name to the phonetic spelling, moving to the one country where they totally would have gotten they it. They totally would have gotten it. Um, and so when I went there and people called me Kotz, I just didn't correct them because they were right, and I like mm, it better. It sounds sure. cooler. Um, and since then, anyone, anytime anyone says Kotz, I'm, I say you're right. Okay. Um, it's not weird for me to hear people say cots. It's still weird for me to say it. Yeah, I get it. Well, I, uh, yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. You've created a situation where no one can mispronounce your name, really. Yeah, except cats. I hate cats. Oh, yeah. Which people think because I'm Jewish, so they're like, oh. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's not. All uh, right, so I guess you can. You can mispronounce I'm gonna. It. I'm going to start. I think I've decided. I had a conversation with my dad, and I was like, what would you think if I just started saying cots and like took that on? It sounds yeah. very pretentious when it comes out of my mouth, mm. but he was all for it, so I feel, I think I'm just going to do it. What's your name again? I don't know. Do you remember? <laughs> Anya Kotz. Say it. Kotz. Say Kotz. it. Kotz. I identify with that tremendously mm. uh, because my last name is fucking Furniture. It's couch. My first day of kindergarten, this little asshole comes up to me and he sits in my lap and he's like, look at me. I'm sitting on the couch. Uh, you know, that's part of the deal with a name like that. However, you'd think a name like couch, which is not an uncommon thing, like the word couch you experience in your life in many places, but you don't ever really think to associate it with a human being other than it's something upon which a human being might uh, rest. (laughs) Yeah. But uh, it has been so horribly mispronounced in my life. I've gotten crouch, crotch, cooch. Yeah, cooch, I was going to say. Conch. <laughs> conch, like, come yeah. on. And, and, but it's well, spelled just like Just couch. like That's... ouch with a C in front of it. Yeah. Uh, when I, I lived in Portland for a while, and of course there is a cooch street in Portland spelled C-O-U-C-H, and people would be like, oh, uh, Mr. Cooch, you're next. I'd be like, God. So good. <laughs> but oddly enough, my nickname in high school was Cooch because a, uh, I was playing soccer. Yeah. And, you know, soccer is a multi-ethnic sport. So many of the dudes in the team had these, like, f- like cool ethnic names, like hard-to-pronounce names. And this announcer is like, and in midfield, Psalm Balazada. And he's, like, pronouncing these names perfectly, right? And he gets to my name. And at goalkeeper, Andrew... Cooch? Full-on question mark at the end of it. I was like, God! And I didn't realize it. He, like, you could hear me in his microphone. And uh, I was like, how can you not spell or pronounce something you clearly spend a shitload of time on? I was like, yeah. mad. And everybody heard it and laughed, and so I was cooch from then on. It's kind of a dick thing to say, but... Yeah. So I had, you know, karmic balance was paid by... Anyway, this is a long story. I want to talk to you about you and not my high school career. Um, I liked that, though. I appreciate it. I'm glad you liked it. I, I want to call you Cooch, but I it's won't. It's fine. No, I, no, no. You can call me Cooch. <laughs> but I'm I, kind of into it. Yeah. Like, I, it would be, like, in a positive way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, honestly, so long as I'm not Andy. Uh-huh. You know? Because there are people who are, f- are they're great at being an Andy. 
Mm-hmm. I'm, I've never been an Andy. Yeah. Yeah. So fair enough. Cooch is fine. Yeah. You're gonna start calling me Andy, aren't you? <laughs> no. Ah, promise. This podcast is over. <laughs> okay. So Anya Cots, I'm very thrilled to be in this van with you. Our mutual pal Chris Ryan has put this together. I refer to him as Doctor Uncle Chris. He's been a huge help, and he keeps introducing me to fabulous people. You and I met a year ago, just about at the Motherfucker Awards. Yeah. And you had just started your podcast, or no? How? I had, yeah. It's been, it will be actually a year in just a few days. I think I launched it the 30th of October last the year. The Millennial's Guide to Saving the World. Correct. You've told me this before, and I remember it, but I'm going to ask you right now like I don't. Uh, why did you feel compelled to create a guide to saving the world for millennials? Well, to be clear, it's not really that. I, I always sort of say that the title is half ironic half not um or half sarcastic half not maybe totally ironic um I I was actually when I came up with the name originally I wanted to write a book and I thought maybe that was going to be the subtitle and Mm. then I decided I didn't have the patience and I had to say stuff now Mm. um and so I figured it would be a good uh podcast title and I mean, why I started the podcast is sort of like a lifelong story, but at the time, the biggest inclination, I sort of had the idea around the time Trump was elected, and I had been uh, previously throughout my 20s living a life that was very sort of inauthentic, and I was pretty unhappy and sort of decided to violently exit out of that phase of my life and get a divorce, and at the same time, the world seemed like it was falling apart. There's so many things in there that <laughs> yeah. we've got to come back to. Yeah, we will. Okay. Um, so I felt, I mean, I, this happens to me all the time, I'm sure, it, and I, I know it happens for other people too. It very much felt like my inner world was sort of being reflected by my outer world, mm-hmm. and this always happens where I, like, I'm in an emotionally... Uh, sort of difficult phase in my life and there are wildfires and it's like I get the message like everything's exploding <laughs> I didn't need it to be that literal but thank you um so I just I felt sort of like chaotic and I'd lived for a really long time I'm a very opinionated outgoing person with a lot of shit to say and I for so long didn't know where to say any of those things or were shut or was shut down for saying those things. And, um, once I sort of exited out of my inauthentic life, it, it felt like I had a, just like a never ending, like word vomit. Like I had just so much. It was like a yeah. cauldron of, of words. Um, and I started, I think it started, I was like posting Facebook rants and realized that was a wildly unproductive um, use of my time and energy. And But w- what interestingly what happened was I was expressing a lot of things that I think sort of fit outside the status quo and the sort of like conventional PC black and white sure. uh, rhetoric that we hear. And I got a lot of messages from people, specifically like people weren't commenting on anything I wrote, but then I would get private messages, especially from women saying, thank you so much for talking about this. I really appreciate it. I don't really have the balls to say it, but I really appreciate that you are. It was also around the time of the Mean Too movement, which I had some issues with. So I, and when I was going through, like after I got divorced, I had a couple years there that were 
both the most liberating but also the most isolating years of my life where I felt really alone and frightened and I didn't know where to go to find people to connect with about any of these things. I have this like funny story, totally true story, in a state of like panic and fear. I literally Googled one night like resources for the worst time in your life. Um, and that wasn't a good productive Google search. Nothing really came up. And the podcasts that I found were mostly about like sort of like mental health, nothing fit. And I sort of w- I, I decided that like maybe the reason I can't find my voice anywhere is because I'm the only one with it. And so maybe I should do something about that. And secondly, if anyone else goes through something like this, I if I can just make one person feel more like they belong and that uh, their ideas or um, desires are valid, then I, I have to do that. Hmm. Um, and and I think also selfishly, I really wanted to find a community. And if I couldn't find one, I was going to create one. So um, I could probably talk for like another two hours about why I started the podcast, but that's a good yeah. start, I think. <laughs> well, that is a good start. And you've, man, there's like 12 things in that that I want to go back to. But I want to go first, further back. Where are you from? New York, right? Yeah, I was born in New York City. Okay. What was your family like? What, what kind of life did you grow up in? Where, you kind of seemed to me like a very well-educated kid. There was a lot of expectations on you. My childhood was pretty complex. Um, I yeah, I was born in the city. We moved to the suburbs shortly thereafter. My parents got divorced when I was five. Um, I found out when I was ten that my dad is gay. When you're ten, yeah. Did he tell you, or did you hear? Um, it? My parents sort of decided through, and this was uh mid 90s mid to late 90s mm-hmm. which is like just important to sort of recognize like we've yeah. come a long way yeah um the year i found out my dad was gay was the year that matthew shepherd was killed and i feel the story a young boy in wyoming who was like tied to a fence and yeah. left beat and left for dead and yeah. it was the start of of quite a bit of gay rights um hate crime legislation around homosexuality were you aware of what gay meant well that yeah sorry i can tell that story but that yeah so going back to your original question my parents decided and were advised that the best thing to do would be to tell me when i asked um which was an interesting choice. Um, But what it meant was, I mean, I think finding out my dad was gay was like the defining moment of my entire life. Really? Um, Yeah. I think because of what you just said, my parents got divorced. I was five, like a five-year-old is like, whatever. Um, My dad, very shortly thereafter, a year or so, my dad moved into an apartment just around the corner from us. He was really close and 
he started, uh, he was in a serious long-term committed or, you know, yeah, committed relationship with a man. They lived together and it was just my dad's friend, Sean. Like mm-hmm. I, that's, I didn't think about it as anything other than that. I saw them kiss. I saw them hold hands. I saw them sleep in the same bed. He went on vacations with us. I would go to his house and Sean was there because Sean lived there. It never fucking occurred to me. Yeah. Like there was no word for it and no context for it. And I didn't think it was weird. I just never thought about it. Um, and I think through so somewhere between five and ten, I'd heard people say the word gay, referring to something. I don't really know. Most of all that I could, or most of all that I absorbed was that it was bad in some way. Right. Unacceptable. And uh, I had this moment. I wanted to be an actress for a really long time. When I was young, my dad worked at this. He was the artistic director of a theater in my town. And I was in a show. Joseph in the amazing Technicolor drink. Yes. <laughs> um, and I was like, uh, there was a few kids in the show and it's sort of a part of the kids group. And I remember like kind of taking them back into the dressing rooms because I was cool. And like my dad ran the theater and I knew all the ins and outs. And we sort of snuck into the Leeds dressing room. And there was a picture of him on his mirror holding hands with a man. I think it was just holding hands. Yeah. And a bunch of the kids started sort of snickering, like, oh, my God, he's gay, he's gay, he's gay, he's gay. And I think I sort of immediately knee-jerk was like, oh, no, like, no, he's not gay. Like, I, I recognize this. Like, this what, are you, what are you talking buddy. about? Right. And sort of very quickly realized I should shut up. Like, I was like, I shouldn't expose anything else. I'll just, mm, okay, sure, like, that's weird and I'm confused. And I went home and I was having a conversation with my mom, because this was also happening around the same time, the, about the Clinton and Lewinsky scandal. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, You're not kidding, the outer world. <laughs> yeah. Reflecting. Totally. Turmoil. And so we sat down at the kitchen table, and she asked me if I had any questions about it, because she was sure I'd heard about it. And so we kind of had a conversation about sex, right? And at the end, she said, you know, do you have any other questions around anything like this and I think at this point she was kind of trying to push me in that direction and I said you know well actually I do and so I told her this story and I said verbatim but you know dad holds hands with Sean and that doesn't mean he's gay right and there was a long pause Mm -hmm. and she said it does and I started like crying and laughing hysterically simultaneously like I didn't know what to feel there were so many emotions betrayal confusion fear and my dad lived around the corner and so immediately like they'd planned for this like I'm taken upstairs my mom pulls out like a cardboard box with like books like me and my two dads (laughs) and like videos and like pops a VHS in the machine and then she says I'm gonna have your dad come over and I was like adamantly opposed to that now i my dad and i were very 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 close i thought my dad was the coolest person ever i had a bit of a problematic relationship with my mother but my dad and i were like super tight and i he we were very close emotionally all of this stuff and when i heard this it was like i literally had the vision that Like something, I'd missed something because gay was bad. So there's something about my dad that's really bad that I just didn't notice before. And I had this vision that he was going to walk in the door with horns or that he'd be like a monster. 
And my mom was like, no, like, look, I'm going to have, like, he has yeah, to come over. You gotta talk to you, so he came over and of course he was the same dude. He was super cool and I loved him and he didn't have horns and he was amazing. And so at 10, and this was an idea that sort of crystallized for me over many, many years after that I didn't have words for it this time. But what I realized in that moment was that there were things in the world. There were ideas, labels, boxes, concepts, taboos that we'd constructed. So if gay is bad, but my dad isn't bad, what does that mean about everything? Yeah. yeah. So I just sort of, I think from that moment on, and I, and I had parents, both of whom were pretty open and you know, um, relative, you know, liberal and open-minded to where I, from that moment on, completely approached the world trying to figure out for myself whether what was real and what wasn't and what was innate and what wasn't and natural and not and authentic and not. Um, so that, that's really sort of defined, that defined my childhood, I think in many ways, um, among other things but but in terms of like where I come from right I feel like that was pretty a pretty distilled yeah <laughs> I would say so yeah that's an important thing to um to see those moments and to be aware of that sort of thing in yourself and in, and in someone else like if you're making friends with somebody it's good for them to know that sort of thing about you that you saw a door a specific thing went through right. it and came out a little bit changed yeah and that it reads that now you would be so uh adamant about challenging concepts and notions that are prevalent in our culture uh and and, and not just challenging them saying like these are wrong but challenging them and saying wait why do we think this what is this right you know I, i've seen some of the guests that you've had on are people who they're not saying things are necessarily wrong they're just saying here are some, yeah. uh, here's what we've found in our exploration of these concepts, which I think is a good way to, to take things on. Right. You know, to just not show up with your mind made up. Totally. You know? yeah. Okay. So you had a life changing epiphany at 10. Yeah. Uh, and then we're suddenly, we find you divorced. <laughs> Can you fill in that? Sure. <laughs> the, like the missing years of Jesus's yeah. life. <laughs> yeah. So, that being 10 and finding that out, I sort of entered into my own closet because mm. being gay at that point was still, I mean, in many spaces today, it's still not okay, but it really didn't feel okay at the time. And now I, I grew up in the South, which yeah. is a, it's like a time capsule. Yeah. So f for you in New York, were, were kids like, they'd see something dumb and be like, don't do that. That's gay. Oh, that 100%, type of thing. Yeah. So there was that, you know, like whatever, and then there totally. was also like, did you hear the word fag, or did you hear things like that? Totally. Okay. Yeah, I was. Uh, I guess at the time I was in elementary school, I was going to this like very earthy, crunchy, progressive private school, but mm -hmm. there was one girl that just incessantly bullied me, and she also belonged to our swim club. And I remember she like cornered me in a bathroom once and was yelling at me that my dad was a faggot, and yeah, it was pretty. I mean, I think. Honestly, a lot of that type of thing, like the kids didn't know what they were doing and they didn't know what any of that meant. They just right. knew it was an insult. And right now that girl is wearing a strap on and is just going down <laughs> yeah, right. on the closest, exactly. uh, the closeted gay <laughs> hating yeah. thing. Yeah. Yeah. I, so 
that I think from like from 10 to remember like when it sort of stopped I don't think until I got to high school so for a good four or five years there it was hard for me to know this and be honest in public and I didn't it was a now I'm very like I tell everybody it's like but at the time I I hit it and in that time your relationship with your pops was cool though you guys yeah no it, it definitely was and my dad sort of continued to I mean, my dad was very understanding of this. He, um, you know, he clo- like he know he knew what a closet was. He recognized what the ramifications, yeah. and even he still, in certain ways, like the man he was with at the time, was kind of into like gender fuck. And my dad was n- like, um, like I'm uncomfortable with it, or like not morally, but it's not really what I want. And so we were sort of both, I think, simultaneously, and even still. You know, I think we're throughout our lives, we're always sort of constantly being challenged or questioning things and what is wondering. Genderful? What is genderful? Oh, it's just like, he, you know, like like what now we see is um, maybe not transgender, but he would like just show up for dinner wearing a skirt. Oh, I got Okay. Gotcha. Um, he just sort of liked to play around with that gotcha. um, in, a, in a sort of, you know, nine non-binary kind of a way. Like he didn't want to dress up in drag. He just wanted to like have his mustache and his hairy arms and wear a skirt like and that was again like now that's so much more accepted and prevalent yeah but then it was not um so even in new york i mean people are surprised by that like oh you grew up in new york though like no uh, honestly no there's a (laughs) lot still pretty fucked up um so yeah i would say like middle school was challenging I, I mostly just for my whole life and I think what led me into the life I ended up living married etc I was like a housewife in San Diego practically Whoa. I think I felt so wildly different from everybody you know my dad even like in sort of continuing to spark these ideas within me like he gave me this book that was incredible. It's called The Trouble with Normal. I must have been like 13 when wow. I read it. And it was written by a gay man who was arguing against gay marriage. And this was at, like when people were like just wow. like, yeah. And so it was like, why should we try to fit into these like heteronormative boxes? Like, why can't we have these sort of like communally supportive peer groups and open relationships? Like, so I was just like on the outskirts wow. of everything, questioning everything. You know, and I'd go to a party with adults and I just genuinely didn't know what to say because anything that I thought or said was so far outside of their normal lives or understanding that I ended up just feeling like angry and resentful. And um, I was also when I was 16, I was in a relationship with a guy that was 24 um, which that age gap when you get older is not that significant, but at right. that age no, it was yeah. significant. And my parents were pretty open-minded about it. And my mom, I remember said like, Hey, look, uh, I could tell you not to see him, but I know you're going to anyway. So I might as well meet him. And then mm-hmm. we don't have to deal with that. Smart. Yeah. So they were cool with it, but that also led to a lot of challenging comments from outsiders. I went on to study, I I went to school thinking still I was going to be an actress, but then I, I went to a pretty liberal college where you didn't ever have to declare a major, so you could kind of just, yeah. like, experiment and take yeah. what you wanted. And so I took a course about 
it was called the invention of homosexuality and it was the first time that I legitimately like I was fascinated by ideas of gender and sex um because that's I think what sparked a lot of my this stuff for me and and so going to school and taking a course on it made me realize that maybe there was like a route that I could go that I could like take that interest seriously as far as like intellect or career went mm-hmm. and so um <clears throat> and then I went abroad I, I decided to like the big change was that I was like gonna go abroad and like go to some act British acting thing and change my mind relatively last minute and decided to go to Amsterdam for like a hundred percent gender and sexuality wow. program um <clears throat> and basically this feeling of like I'm I always describe it I mean, and and simultaneous to this, I had my own experience with my own sexuality, which was very well integrated, I think, compared to other women, especially. Like I always said, like, I talk about sex like I'm a dude. Like, I was just very, it was a very, very important part of me, and I understood the world through sexuality. And so there was all these things that felt like I know who I am and I know what I want and I know what the world is that I want to live in, but this isn't that world and there's no place for me here. And what I think I craved above all else, I think given some of the issues I had with my relationship with my mother growing up, like I just really wanted intimacy and a relationship and I was very codependent and totally afraid to be alone. And um, I, someone expressed desire for me and I just over and over again got into situations that were not for me because they felt safe and because I thought maybe that would protect me from abandonment or betrayal. And so I just, I mean, it didn't happen super consciously, but in my early 20s, I broke up with this first boyfriend. We were together for seven years. The 24-year-old guy. Yeah. And then I um, met... He he actually hired me at a job. uh, And we didn't start dating until after I moved out of his department. But he was also quite a bit older than me. And we got together. And we were together for seven years as well. Um, But we were only married for seven months. No shit. Um, But yeah, I... I was just, I was scared. I wasn't ready to to look at a lot of my issues. <laughs> and um, I just, I totally settled. And I didn't, you know, I think a big part of it too was my dad was maybe the one exception. But it's not as if I saw examples of other types of lives being lived. So I just kind of thought, like, mm, this is maybe the best I can do um, until I realized that was wrong. I'm real unhappy. Yeah. 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 Um, what was that leap like for you when you, the balance of your personal unhappiness versus the weight of security, safety, all that sort of stuff, expectation? Like, how how was that moment for you? like deciding to leave I met someone else um which 
I'm grateful for in the sense that it got me out of the problem, but it also... I did, that's how this, how this all happened. So I was with my first boyfriend. I met this other dude. I left him for him. Then I met this other dude and I was leaving my husband for him. And I tried to tell myself that wasn't what I was doing, but it was quite clear. Like I couldn't ignore that anymore. And, uh, I remember like driving. I was living in San Diego and I was going to see this guy in LA. And I remember driving up thinking like, there's something wrong here that I'm not grieving the loss of my relationship. That's a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of things happened at that time. I I was suffering with pretty severe, like severe health issues. Well, health issues that I'd sort of struggled with for my whole life, like just exploded. Um, and I was basically pushed into a space I think I pushed myself into the space where I, I just had to deal with these things and explore them. Um, and I, I was the most terrifying, like it felt like I died, which might sound dramatic, but that's really what it felt like. I had actually also started, I stopped speaking to my mom during that time. I had a bunch of falling outs with friends. I not only got divorced from my husband but also stopped seeing this guy that I had sort of so I was like heartbroken twice I was had these really severe health issues that like kept me in my house alone um I had basically nobody and I just spent basically two years in like severe grief isolation and I was going to therapy I thankfully had the like privilege and money to go to therapy and I I had been in therapy basically my whole life, but like nothing was happening. Mm. And this was the first time that I, I went three times a week and I went into her and I said like, Hey, I've been in therapy for a really long time and I'm really good at lying. I'm really good at, I'm really good at intellectually intellectualizing my way out of anything. I'm really good at Protecting yourself. Protecting myself yeah. and telling the story and doing and saying exactly what you want. And I need you to hold me accountable to that. Wow. And it was fucking profound um, on many different levels. So, <clears throat> yeah, that... And that's... I'm, I'm very obsessed with, like, I think a lot of the stories that end up being told on my podcast are stories of rebirths like that. Like I'm, I'm very into like people who were Mormon and then decided they weren't right. right? Cause I right. think the process of breaking free from the, the ideas and the, um, internalized assumptions, you know, and some people have that much more severe than others, but I think that process of like going into reset mode mm-hmm. is the bravest thing we could possibly do. Um, and so that's what I felt I did, and I guess the process that I really wanted to help support other people in as well. Yeah, and it is a wild thing to consider when you think of what sort of thing we are. You know, we are this ape that that feeds off of story. We we need to tell stories about everything. I mean, literally everything in your life is kind of a made up thing, right. and that you, whoever it is that you think you are is just as much a part of that story as the, the dollars in your pocket or the 
concepts you have in your brain and to rewrite that thing in your own at your own whimsy or you you recreating a character is crazy i mean it really is like a but once you do it it the whole thing's pretty malleable i mean you yeah you you talk to your dad about that like his moment of like when he discovered that he was gay and like i mean god he had how many kids Two. two kids yeah. a wife a career a house a whole thing and was like uh <laughs> by the way just kidding <laughs> and like what it sound like you you did you uh, i mean went into that i don't remember what they call it when a when a caterpillar yeah like um yeah metamorphosis or yeah, it's, it's a different some thing. other word yeah where they go into the cocoon and like that time it's i can't imagine that's a nice time for oh, that no. for that caterpillar. No. I don't know what that's like to suddenly turn into another creature. Yeah. Like that, but it can't be just totally pleasant. No, it was the complete I mean, you know, it's it's nuanced. I uh, what happened like so I got divorced and that situation at my house, I owned a house with my husband and that situation being there with him during this process became like pretty not okay. Yeah. And so I I my mom suggested I move in with her which was part of I think all of this because I sort of got to like relive my childhood but 30 years later with like more life experience and context and understanding and I was struggling with a lot with her and sort of realized that the same issues I was struggling with her about now or what I was struggling with with her as a kid and my dad came out to visit for a while actually and stayed at my mom's house for a week so I was like in a house with both my parents it was it was surreal. Oh my god! Um, but yeah, that time was uh, it was it was terrible. But when I got there, my, my you know my mom and I had a very codependent relationship, and um, she, when she saw the amount of pain that I was in, she basically couldn't take it because it mm. so affected her, and I think sort of challenged her grief and her pain and her trauma in a way that she wasn't totally comfortable with and so there was some fighting that happened at the beginning where I was sort of been told and given the message like this isn't normal you're suffering something's wrong here and and for whatever reason I just had this like internal knowing that although I basically felt dead that this is exactly where I needed to be Hmm. And through that acceptance and, like, basically just surrendering to, like, the universe and saying just, like, okay, like, I'm, I'm, I'm in. Like, let's do this. I don't know what this is, but I'm, I'm all for it and I'm ready. You know, it was both the most traumatic and painful time, but I also, you know, that phrase, like, you know, you only get to experience joy when you experience pain. I, I pre- prior to this, understood that conceptually, mm-hmm. but didn't really get it. And this experience for me, you know, it, it just like, oh, I get it. So I, I was like in this, it was both the most painful, but also the most beautiful and profound time and I felt um, really like broken open to beauty I hadn't even I hadn't even fathomed before. Um, yeah, great. I'm actually in a in a couple days going up uh, and uh, interviewing this guy Francis Weller who wrote a book called The Wild Edge of Sorrow. That sounds. It's it it's amazing. It's about grief, mm. um, and. Uh, 
you know, I I think psychedelics are a really big thing these days, right? Sort of like awakening us to the sort of truth of the world. And like, I like grief was that for me. Yeah. Um, I was going to say this sounds familiar. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it was, it was beautiful. I mean, I felt talk about like the reasons I wanted to start a podcast, right? So like Trump's being elected, the fucking planet's dying. Like everyone around me is suffering and traumatized and kid, like kids, whatever, young adults, my age, like I just feel like we were all standing there with like deer a deer in headlights like what the fuck is happening and um yeah I just I had to I felt so connected in ways that I was so disconnected before and in that process it became very clear to me that I just needed to be myself and be authentic and like sort of coming full circle to like saving the world. Like that's what I wanted to do. I I think if we all felt like we're living in, in cages with the door open, right? If we all stepped outside the cage and we all went through this rebirth process and we all decided to be who we actually are, like, that to me is what saving the world means. If only that we just don't pass on the bullshit to the next generation um, and we try our absolute best not to contribute to the problems. Une histoire de plage mêlée de sable et d'eau Dans un coquillage la voilure d'un bateau Qui se balançait sur le bord du soleil Emportant qui sait nos illusions nées de la veille J'ai trop souvent fait naufrage Pour n'avoir pas su dire Alors qu'il le fallait Avec des mots nouveaux La mer que je t'offrais Pour tes voyages Je connais des vagues Qui roulent doucement En tissant des algues les nuages I'm going to push back on that. Yeah, go for it. Because, and I don't know that I actually know this or that this opinion means anything, or if I even agree with this opinion. Yeah. Uh, today, I was um, I was in this fancy grocery store that we visited earlier. Yeah. And um, I tend to, I really like people who work at the checkout counter and I, maybe I really just want them to like me, mm-hmm. but I always talk to them. I always offer to buy them like a piece of candy or something like, Hey, do you want like a candy bar or something? 99% of the time in the U S they say no in Mexico. However, they say yes all the time. Mm. I don't know. That's not part of what I'm, the point I'm making. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, this young lady that was working at the counter today, you could tell she was upset. I just knew she had shit on her mind and she's trying to work with these people who are like complaining because the lines were long. Uh, just to give context to the listener, there are currently fires, wildfires, yeah. burning down homes. And this re- there was no power whatsoever in this entire county of California in which fucking millions of people live. Post-apocalyptic but, for yeah, sure. Yeah. And, and this grocery store, because it's fancy and populated and visited by rich people, had a big ass generator and they were open. Yeah. So they were real busy. Now this young lady, um, who was probably older than me, was saying, <laughs> you know, I could just tell she was like dealing with some shit, right? She was unhappy. And, um, and people had been mean to her and you could just tell. 
but she was not worried about the people being mean to her. And uh, I just, I was like, how's your day going? Great. Great. N- not great. Not great. You, uh, you, do you live, do you live north of here? Which is where all the fires were. Mm-hmm. She's like, yes. Is everybody going to be okay? I'll tell you the secret. The only reason I can be here right now is because my pets are in the office upstairs. And you're at work right now? Yeah. And this is like, there's people behind us in line. And uh, this is a very long story. I apologize. No, but she I'm said, um, she's like, look, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to make it. I'm going to be all right. Well, just remember today, if, any, if you're having a hard time with people, that um, most people, and I mean most people, including me, they're just idiots they don't mean any harm we're just real stupid and she's like thank you thank you and she kind of giggled or whatever and you know and she denied the fucking candy bar but whatever so i i maybe you should like me it's like you know california maybe she wants like fruit or like a protein (laughs) maybe maybe or like an organic fresh squeezed juice yeah i mean but look at me man (laughs) like i'm splurging on the damn candy bar but anyhow so yeah it's like fancy lady and I'll start complaining to her about yeah. like what are you an idiot but uh, that that concept and I meant it I kind of mean it that we're all kind of idiots on the either side of that cage some people that are living in the cage with the door open mm. regardless of what side of that cage they're on like they're maybe an asshole on one side and on the other side they're their fully realized self asshole <laughs> yeah. or the fully realized idiot you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. have you considered that, like, maybe I guess the people who would seek liberation from that cage are the kind who would maybe benefit from it. But some people being their authentic selves are still, they still suck. Oh, yeah. And, and it's a long way of saying that. I'm yeah, sorry. No, no, I, <laughs> I, I appreciate it. I think it's a totally valid point. I think I also wasted a lot of time and energy and anger living in the concept of if I can do it, they can. Um, and I think I, I felt that about some close family members from time to time and was sort of reminded mostly by my brilliant therapist that like, like, no, actually that's, it's not a practical opinion. It's a projection. And, um, you know, you, you had a lot of shit happen for you that wasn't great and you were definitely traumatized in multiple ways, like, but you are super educated and you're smart and you read a lot of books and you had at least one parent who was pretty i mean you know solid. everyone had their faults but yeah it was right. pretty solid and, and supported you especially emotionally you know and that really got me to think about privilege and circumstance mm-hmm. and um i'm def i'm not only am i not claiming that everyone can step outside that cage i'm also not even claiming that even if we all did that it would make a difference. Chris and I have this debate quite a bit because I think he's sort of of the mindset, um, Chris Ryan, that is, uh, that like we're being sort of run by, like there's, there's larger organisms above us, right. right, That are controlling us and the individual parts are not going to have an effect. Right. So like if the, yeah, CEO of ExxonMobil like goes and does ayahuasca right and he's true said this and comes back and is like fuck this like this isn't okay they're gonna like fire that guy and yeah, hire a new CEO won't do it. Yeah. so and I mean I, I sort of I'm very obsessed with paradox and nuance mm-hmm. um, so I, I see both sides of this I, I feel like totally comfortable in both sides 
I guess what I feel like is regardless, you know, we have choices. And for example, anyone that knows Chris Ryan, like he's not in the fucking cage, you know, he's still outside of it. (laughs) He can still feel that maybe that's not making a difference. I would disagree. Um, But I think it can't be about, you know, when people ask me about my podcast or the title or this or that, you know, I, and I actually still am thinking of writing a book w- about this. Like if like, let's, let's play off of this idea. Like if there was a guide, what are the 10 steps? Mm-hmm. And uh, I think the last step would be accepting you're not going to change the world and yeah. you should just fucking do it anyway. <laughs> and, and by saving the world, it's like, I was just talking to someone about this recently that shouldn't feel like effort. It shouldn't feel like, you know, I'm going above and beyond to like not use straws or like it, it. it's whatever your thing is, like your individual, you know, uh, excuse the sort of spirituality of this, but like purpose, like whatever that is, is going to feel so calm and normal and and natural sure you're going to be living in a world that might not support that but if you find the right space and you finally like let go of the bullshit and you're that thing and you're whoever you are you're an artist you're a podcaster you're a writer you're a musician like you're a mom right any one of these things if it's authentic if it's your authentic truth it's worth the pursuit it's worth the pursuit and yeah there's nothing more noble to me than that I mean, today you and I got the opportunity to hang out with an 85-year-old man who in the fucking teeth of all the reason in the world to be just skeptical and cynical and bitter about the way things have turned out, this guy, um, Lloyd Kahn, musters this, I mean, Herculean doesn't even cover it, enthusiasm for pursuing yeah not not even i don't think he would ever even say save the world but like things that to him make sense that are good for you and good ostensibly good for others and it's like it doesn't matter if it's to save the world it's like it's to build a house man it's to work with your hands that's what he's like i just work with your hands that's all i really advocate is that you work with your hands you do you just do shit you know and it's like you can always maintain enough enthusiasm well, maybe not always, but you can muster enough enthusiasm for your thing, like yeah. you're saying. Like, yeah. But uh, <laughs> I come back to that, like um, that self-realized asshole, you know, yeah. <laughs> that you meet. That's like, I've done the work, you know, and it's and they're they like they're still a dick, mm-hmm. and you know, I, I haven't done the work and I'm still a dick. So at least somebody's trying. But the 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 idea that. Um, and I, I'm in no way disparaging your thing. I hope you understand. No, that. Like, I, yeah, I, 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 I'm, I'm into this. Yeah, I like what you're doing. <laughs> and I, I I think we do get preoccupied with the idea of like uh, self-examination. But I do at the same time feel like it's very important to be self-aware. Mm-hmm. There's a fine line, I think, between self-examination and self-awareness. And I don't know, everyone's got their, you know, their tolerances for that. Like, I I need self-awareness and I need some degree of 
analyzing myself, but if I dig too deep, I get on my nerves. And like, you know what I mean? I, it's, it's, it's not even a self-loathing. It's just like a self like, oh, you fucking, can't, it's you again. Do you know what I mean? Like th- there's like a certain amount of it that I just would rather not tolerate, but, but maintaining a level of awareness that that guy's there, you know, that annoying part of my, the aspect of my person is there. Yeah. But but being aware enough of myself to to try to like I don't know. I don't maybe maybe I'm inauthentic. Jesus <laughs> no. Christ. I'm breaking no. it down. <laughs> no. No, I mean I look and and whether or not we don't live in a in a world or a context in which this process is easy and I'd mm-hmm. maybe even say possible. Like I don't I don't know if I'm totally capable of achieving a hundred percent authenticity and self awareness and and that's fine. Yeah. Like I guess I feel like, you know, there like I there's a there's there's A to B, not A to Z. Like I'm just here to go from A to B. Sure, sure. And and a lot of people don't even get to fucking B. Um and maybe I won't either, but I I find th- I just find a lot of responsive I I feel responsible. I feel like I have to try. Mm-hmm. Um and that look, when I was living my life in San Diego and making all of these choices that were like one of my favorite quotes is um easy choices hard life, hard choices easy life. Hmm. So if we continually just make like the easy choice, our life's probably going to feel a little bit more challenging but if we make really hard choices over and over again eventually things will be easy um but hard choices are really hard and i you know it was a lot easier when i was in the dark Hmm. i didn't have to think about any of this stuff i didn't have to process like that i was emotionally abused i didn't even have to i didn't even know what that was before you know i didn't have to process that i was with people that were treating me poorly or trying to degrade me or make me feel less than I was or shame me. It was, I just didn't have to go there. I was wildly unhappy and I think physically ill, but I didn't put the pieces together. And now, you know, I'm constantly being confronted by my own bullshit in a way that's painful on so many levels right like painful on the level that I'm bullshitting myself painful that I can be bullshitting other people and hurting other people and painful that the whole reason this is happening is because I suffered trauma and that was really painful so it's like this full circle of just like shit that I feel like I'm constantly swimming in. I mean, multiple times a day, right? Like I have thoughts about like I, I'm now aware of the thoughts. I'm I'm in touch with the thoughts and right. they they suck. Um mm. but I still like it's very in my personality to like delve as deeply as I can possibly go and the same goes for my own you know we don't call it self-awareness just reflection like i i just really want to like do something with my life you know yeah Um, i get that that idea and i want to help 
people and I know that I can't help people until I help myself. Like the tagline sure. for my podcast is fix yourself to fix the world. Yeah. Um, I think if we're trying to go out and save things or heal things or help people before we've done that for ourselves, that it's it never abusive, works. Abusive, actually, yeah, and, and yeah. really irresponsible. Um, so I feel like, especially because I have a public platform, I mm -hmm. plan on writing books. I plan on, I think naturally I've just sort of become this person that people look to. Like I've suffered from so many quote unquote, like hero, he healers and leaders and mm -hmm. gurus. And I can't, I, you know, who, who are, you know, narcissistic and sure. whatever else, like claiming there's something they're not. I really, really don't want to do that. Yeah. Um, but but not doing that means confronting all of the ways that I have the proclivity to. Um, yeah. And that's scary. Well, what I like about your particular style of getting along in the world is you do, um, you confront things with a, like there's that radical honesty thing yeah. that is a little over the top. Yeah. It's like, okay, man, I, I get that you you like shit in a bag sometimes and hide it from <laughs> whatever the thing that you do is yeah. gross. And but you're not doing this over the top radical honesty thing. You're just you know, you're being, I mean, authentic, I guess. But you're, um, I don't want to say that you're a lady because that sounds like patronizing or whatever. Mm -hmm. But all the things that people used to think of as like the elegance of a lady, you know what I mean? Like you're elegantly honest, I guess I should say, is that you, you approach it in a way that's not like um, char uh, characterized or, or cartoonish or, you know, exaggerated. You're just like, look, um, I've, I've thought about this thing very much. I thought about it in this dark time that I can tell you about honestly, or I've thought about it in good times, you know, uh, that... Uh, you're just free with that information without being, I don't know, crazy about it. Does that make sense? It does. Thank you. I feel like I'm not good at that at all, and that I struggle with it constantly. Oh, so well, I, maybe. I, maybe I, that's uh, why there's an elegance to it, because <laughs> yeah. if it were just, like, super effortless and, you know, like, yeah. there's a difference, I think, there's a difference between elegance and being, like, you know, full of ease or grace. Do you know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. Like, there's something elegant in a way about people um, like working through a thing. Yeah. You know, because I, I listened. Right. Well, I'm going to plug another your other show, The Whore Report, <laughs> which is great. The I mean, the great title for one. But like that, that for the introduction conversation, you guys danced around that that initial like, what is this going to be? Yeah. Like. In a really cool way that like it wasn't like you just imme immediately came out and said, well, here's how my sexuality works. Right. You know, you, you both like explored this thing through, um, I don't know, like almost not, not necessarily self-editing, but through a, a measured way instead of just being like, I fuck these things and I do this. Nah, nah, nah. Right. I, I appreciate that. Yeah, thanks. That I mean, it, it, that episode, I think looking back and like, yeah, we so we recorded a my friend Aaron and I were starting this podcast called Horror Report. We recorded an episode on my podcast, sort of like a practice run and also an introduction to the show. And yeah, listening back, I think I probably still would have been a little more, maybe not tactful. It was, you know, it's an interesting space 
like the the intersection of like authenticity and public life I, i've always been very interested in public private mm-hmm. um I, I took another class when i was in college uh about family life and it, and it really talked about the formation of like the public sphere and private sphere and how mm-hmm. technology right like we didn't have like podcasts before yeah, right yeah we like the we didn't have newspapers we didn't have tv we didn't have these sort of like public representations um and so i think it's a lot easier to like be yourself and be authentic when you're just in your little tribe right which was natural to us and so i try and balance you know because especially because i lived for so long not being myself and in the all these closets my inclination this like sort of like fiery inclination is to say everything and eliminate shame everywhere yeah, yeah. and i had a sort of you know th- i think that's the hardest that's been the hardest thing for me about having a podcast like people always ask me like what's a thing you didn't expect or didn't learn um i came into this being like i'm gonna i'm not gonna do what other people do i'm gonna be the most authentic and then realizing like okay actually it's not that easy and i need to be measured and i made this correlation because you can know when there's someone in your life like a friend or a family member and they're like super fucked up and in an unhealthy relationship and you're just looking at them like oh my god look at this train wreck i know i mean and i flip it i was in their position as well the thing that doesn't help people is when you say to them like you're fucking up like you're a shitty person you need to grow and evolve when you push someone they they push back and it can actually they can dig themselves deeper into the hole because they feel so defensive and i think the most um productive thing you can do for someone if you love them and care about them set boundaries but like if it's not abusive like hold just hold space for them to be who they are and allow them to go through whatever process they're going to go through and your support and understanding and love is what's going to push them into making these realizations more than you accusing them of something and so i sort of took that concept and extended it in into like a collective sense and so me like getting behind a microphone and saying like this is what you need to do and this is my life and you know this like it's i don't want to scare anyone i just i'm one person with a set of ideas and some decisions that i've made around my life and if there's anything I'd like to portray, it's just like, I'm going to be vulnerable in that space. And I, I hope that that makes you feel comfortable be vul- being vulnerable in your space. But that's not necessarily going to look like mine. Sure. You know. That, that I think, is it. That, that's the thing that I was, I guess, leaning towards. The yeah. elegance and vulnerability. Mm. That's, that's cool to me. Yeah. When someone can be not bulletproof. Because, I mean, that you want, um, I don't know. I mean, I feel like I'm, I'm pretty self-deprecating, generally speaking. Chris was asking me earlier, he's like, do you, are you just trying to be charming or do you really believe it? It's like, wait, of course. I mean, yeah, I believe it. What do you mean? I didn't you didn't really, really kind of blow right past that. Like, you? What, what do you mean? Anyway, but like that, um, that does get on people's nerves. Like people have said that to me, like, man, you should really cut that out. And I was like, okay, I'll think about it. And it to me, it's like a way of um, 
I don't know. It's just how I feel about things. And like, <laughs> I, I put down my bookmark for a moment. I'm like, okay, well, starting at this point, how do I feel about these things? You know, mm. how do I relate to that thing being some apish troglodyte, whatever you know, yeah. thing? Uh, but that there's a difference between just like being self-deprecating and being vulnerable. And like on this show and like meeting people, it's a little scary sometimes to like, uh, even just in you know public. I used to speak public publicly. I used mm-hmm. to do a job where I would get up in front of hundreds of people and speak about. Mm-hmm. I was meant to be the subject matter expert about you know renewable energy and all this stuff. And to be wrong about shit publicly is tough. So you want to stick to the things that you know, right? And I found when I could finally admit when I don't know, and just be like. I'm sorry, I was wrong. You know, oops. That is so much easier than trying to be bulletproof, you know, to try to defend every position and to like always have an answer and all that sort of stuff. I I used to try to do that. And it's, I think I still probably try to do that in some ways. Uh, And when I don't, I think sometimes when I don't have an answer, I just shit on myself. You know, like I'll say something self deprecating because I don't have the answer. But, um, there, there is something about just being like, oops, I don't know. Yeah. So just as simple as saying, I, I don't know, or I can't, or ooh, I was wrong. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I think, you know, what I found to, I think especially when we decide to make choices that sort of set outside the societal norm and expectation, mm-hmm. I think that can in- Increase even more this sort of like defensiveness around something you know for example like non-monogamy I think a lot of people within that community I think including myself now you know it, it's you find the need to have to defend yourself all the time right even even just like let's say being gay um Like, you feel the need to be sort of rock solid about that. Because if you were to say, like, you know, I'm actually sort of questioning this. Like, (laughs) wow, you know, I've considered myself gay forever, but I kind of want to, like, sleep with men or women or whatever it is. Or, you know, oh, but I sleep with women, but I actually don't feel gay. And, you know, when when you open yourself up to not knowing and you open yourself up to just like living in the question space, Mm -hmm. that's very vulnerable. And if you haven't done the work for yourself or you don't exist within a community that will support you in that Mm -hmm. not knowing, it can be really scary. And so I I totally get that. And I think, um, yeah, I guess my point is just like, even when we move into spaces that are more authentic, that that can get worse because we feel so afraid mm. that someone's going to get in there, yeah, right. you know, and find out what you don't know. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. think uh, maybe you have a different relationship with people, but um, even the smart, one of the some of the smartest people that I know, I can look at them and I don't expect them to know everything. Do you know what I mean? Like I, everyone that I perceive from my mother to like. Uh, you know, the lady at the grocery store today, uh, people I interview, I don't assume that people know everything. I feel like, of course they don't know everything. Of course they're vulnerable and fallible and, 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 and don't know it. But you get in, a, in your own head, 
like the way that you're you can graciously perceive others you don't afford yourself I think a lot of people expect something of themselves they would never expect of others. You know, this like infallible, unbreakable person who's supposed to be able to handle everything. It's like you would never really expect that of anyone else. Yeah, but somehow we do that to ourselves. It's a it's a weird thing. I, I, I want to, before, because we've been talking for a little while, and I like talking for a long yeah. time, but I do have to, I got to go like get on a plane a little yeah. bit. But um, I... I appreciate what you do as a, as like a voice and as a thinker and as someone, uh, just a curious person who wants to bring other voices to bear. Because you don't just get on your podcast and rant. You have guests yeah. and like explore ideas with them and, and, and challenge yourself and them. Um, I, think that's, I think it's really cool. And I like what you're doing with Aaron because I think that's funny and it's, it's also interesting. But w- I want to get to, before we get out of here, what, um, what, do you do i mean i know you said you did marketing mm. and and you've done uh you've done some other things you went to college and got a degree in well it was just a ba mm-hmm. because everyone did but i focused in gender and sexuality gender and sexuality yeah. so what what if you were to say or if say a podcaster were to ask you uh hey uh anya Katz, what what's your uh what do you do for a living uh, what would your answer be? I hate that question. Yeah, that's why I framed it like <laughs> yeah. a third-party question. It wasn't yeah. really me asking. Um, well, I mean, technically, what do I do for a living? I have two clients who I help with um, marketing, mm-hmm. mostly. Yeah. Um, that's how I make money. I uh, haven't paid rent since May, so my expenses are pretty low. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a weird question. I, I just had a funny conversation with my dad about this. He's like, so people ask me what I do, what you do, and I don't really know what to tell them. Um, I, yeah, so what I, I, that's how I make money. Mm-hmm. I um, I was making, for most of my 20s, I was working in natural products startups running uh, running the marketing department. Right. Um, and as I was sort of mentioning before, like when you work for a startup, I think in any role you kind of learn everything because you kind of have to. And um, we were like I was working with companies that were growing from two hundred fifty thousand dollars a year to sixteen million in the course of a year or Whoa. two, and then beyond and beyond and beyond. Um, so you see everything sure. not only sort of comprehensively within the org- organization, but then at every level, right? Low mm. budget, mid, uh, middle budget, high budget. Um, so I, uh, I'm, I don't, I I got into that whole thing accidentally when I graduated from college. Um, I was going to go to grad school, uh, and probably pursue more of this whole gender sexuality thing, but I got a job at Whole Foods. I was going to take a year off and I got a job at Whole Foods mostly just because I wanted the discount. Um, and I was kind of, I had sort of developed this like side hobby and interest in food and nutrition at the time. And within three weeks, a full-time position at the store had opened and I got it. Like, I didn't think I was going to get it and I got it. And so all of a sudden I was like 21 and making a salary and had my own apartment. And, um, it was a time in my life emotionally when it was really important for me not to like rely on my parents and support Mm -hmm. myself. And I thought, well, this is great. Like, I, I'm, I, I, did I don't want to. I don't need to go to that other school to like right. do get this. Um, so I just sort of, and through Whole Foods, I met the founder of a company, and I just sort of fell into it and learned as I went. Um, 
so I developed a lot of skill sets as far as it relates to growing and promoting a business of any kind. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think always sort of knew that that's, I always, <laughs> I'll, I'll say this, like my career always worked well unlike a lot of other shit in my life. And at one point I realized that maybe the reason it worked so well was because I wasn't trying to control it and I didn't have a lot of expectation. I just sort of like let go and and allowed myself to kind of like move through these different spaces and then I didn't have an agenda. I wasn't trying to get somewhere really. I just thought, I think this might help for this, which might help for that, which might help me get here, which might help me learn this. But I don't know where I'm going to end up. I just feel like, yeah. and the, and realizing that, you know, I I tr- I made a conscious effort to apply that same strategy to other areas yeah. of my life. Um, so yeah, so I I have a couple clients who I help with that stuff now, and uh, I have the podcast, which doesn't make me money, which is fine because I didn't really <laughs> intend for it to make money. I just yeah. really wanted to do it. Um, but I hope. And a, a big reason I started the podcast was to sort of, you know, have this idea of that the world is made up of like the sort of uh, physical space and like it, like tangible and intangible space, right? Mm-hmm. So we have ideas and then we have things. Mm-hmm. And I would like to merge the two, right? So like create a physical space that embodies my ideas. And not just like sit around talking about my ideas, but actually enact them in the best way that I possibly can within this shitty culture and society and world and whatever else. Um, But that's what I'd like to do. And, and, you know, I'm uh, I'm I have a complex relationship with it, but I was really into astrology for a while. And there's this part of a chart that many sort of modern astrologers refer to as career. But it was explained to me that astrology is very ancient and career is not. And so to sort of look at that more of just like life path and that you one would hope that your career aligns with your life path, that they're one in the same. Sure. Um, And so, again, I'm coming from like an uber privileged position saying this, but to kind of create that space, you know, I said to you earlier, like, I want to create a magical world. I think mm-hmm. in many ways I want to create the childhood that I didn't really feel like I had, where it was inclusive and welcoming and beautiful and full of love and warmth and art and beauty. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what I'd like my quote-unquote career to be, whatever that means. Yeah. Like, <laughs> um, So that's what it's all moving toward. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm fine with whatever happens in the meantime to get there. It's all part of the path. Do you think about dying? Yeah. Um, yeah. I know I that seems it. like a weird segue, but <laughs> like when you say life path, yeah. it always ends in there. Death, yeah. Oh, so totally. like, uh, I mean, yeah. it, it sounds to me like, um, like you want to, uh, have fun and share it with others between now and when you're gone and in between then it's kind of imperative to make a little bit of money and 
kind of right exactly like you just do i mean i feel like that's sort of what you're doing as well like i want to take this really long van trip but like that also requires money so i'm going to do this and do that in order to accommodate it i think there is a nuanced space there i know there's a lot of people who will take those odd jobs or 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 just a job in general because they're fearful or afraid that they right so it's like to kind of allow yourself to do those things but not let it stop you from pursuing the vision yeah and being okay with not knowing what that vision is like one of the most important things someone ever said to me was i had this very like this is what i'm gonna do with my life and he was like look not to be patronizing but you're quite young and a lot of people have had this idea and what i would recommend is stop focusing on the logistical specifics of it yeah and just to focus on the energy of it. Because if you don't, then you limit the breadth of possibility. Mm. There might be things that you want to create that you're not even fucking aware of yet. Yeah. And so just like hold on to the what it feels like. And if you go into a place that feels off and don't do right, it. don't do it. And if you right. Um so. <laughs> I had a boss once, uh bosses maybe a strong word. This this person owned a, a massage uh like a spa where mm-hmm. I worked and um, like kept on doing these like um, what was it called Groupon things which is like the worst thing you can do for a massage therapist like that's hard work man and like you should be paid well to do massage and I was like man a lot of these people really they come in for a $13 massage like yeah. like you know it's tough to make any dough there and, and uh, not particularly gratuitous with their you know right showing you gratuity uh and her thing was like you know you should really just not be so attached to the outcome i was like oh you mean i should quit (laughs) you know don't be so attached to the outcome like i didn't come here just to be energetically hip you know like i love helping people with massage and i like this but like man i I did come here to kind of like make a little bit of money so i can do other things right. <laughs> I just thought I don't know that's barely related to what you're saying <laughs> but I think um, the idea of uh, uh, did you ever meet Ricardo uh, Ricardo Serpa maybe not uh, I did you did oh yeah that's right at, at, the, at, at Bombay, at Bombay yeah. he said something I really liked he was like you know my dad told me he's like look if you just if you love what you're doing if you if you can find something that you enjoy doing and you can do that professionally some money will likely come your way because if you love it you'll get good at it yeah it's like okay that sounds so simple right? right but i don't know how to make a living out of just being nice to people and being you know like there's not really any payback of just like, that's all i really want to do is like meet people and be good to them there's no money in that you know so i don't know exactly how to make a living out of it but in the meantime I'm perfectly willing to do all kinds of other stuff. Yeah, it's very, I mean, it, you know, it's very unnatural. Like, we shouldn't, the world we lives in we live in requires us to have these careers because yeah. we have to... Well, up- things need to get done. I mean, somebody's got to yeah. make the coffee. Right, but I, yeah. I, you know, and I think if we think back to, like, where we came from in terms of hunter-gatherer lifestyle, like, work was again like sort of life path like you're good at hunting you're good good at mothering you're good at that you're good at farming that that makes sense to me it's like the thing you just really like and are good at not 
like, well, what if that doesn't make enough money, right? right? If we remove the sort of like modern civilized aspects of it, I think that makes it a lot easier to kind of think about and yeah. yeah. Maybe. 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 We still live in the world. We still live here. We're, I mean, for a little bit more context, we're in an old van uh, looking out over the city lights of San Francisco. I should be in Mexico. I'll be there in uh, like 12 hours. I'm so excited. I'll be back with my wife and dog. Um, and we're, we're, in, we're in the world. We're on the street. Yeah, we have these like LED camping yeah. lights creating quite a bit of mood lighting. Mood lighting or we look like with our headphones and microphones on, like we're the FBI, the two dumbest FBI yeah. agents. Yeah, totally. Most or just like the most hipster douchebags right, ever. Like right. a couple of podcasters recording a look podcast at out in, there. Our, in our fucking van. <laughs> look at them out there in front of my apartment. Yeah. Well, we're a parody of ourselves. Yeah, yeah. I, I have no problem with it. <laughs> Nor do no I. No problem with it. I, I'm very grateful to have been able to spend the day with you guys. It's been great. Uh, you gave me a ride. You saved me. I just checked on Uber a little while ago. You saved me $30. I am so glad to hear that. Um, <laughs> you spend it all in some airport. I'm going to do <laughs> something stupid with that 30 bucks. I cannot wait. No, this has been, been fabulous. Um, before we Before we go, I want to run one idea past you that as a marketing person, I'd like you to either shoot down immediately uh-huh. or or encourage my listeners to follow your advice. I have a really funny friend um, that I discussed the idea of, because I, I have no brand loyalty. Mm. Like, I like these microphones. They're good. Uh, I don't actually, Audio-Technica's. Uh, but I, like, I, I couldn't sincerely, I would have a hard time sincerely telling someone an ad like i I just would have a really hard time doing it because i can't honestly say that i've really ever given a shit about a certain kind of pants yeah yeah you know what i mean like but to pilligree something and to parody something and to kind of make fun of something a product and or service which has fucked you over in some measurable way or let you down that i feel perfectly compelled (laughs) and capable of doing and my friend has this great radio voice. He's very funny. Uh-huh. Uh, and he was like, oh my God, I will write and or read parody ads for you all day long. So I, I thought of offering to our listeners uh-huh. the opportunity to buy a parody ad. So uh-huh. if you're in Muskogee and, and some local auto shop has fucked you over in some way and you want us to write a parody ad about yeah. that, what do you think of that as a business model? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's conceptually quite funny. I think the only maybe morally weird thing I feel about it is I don't like publicly shaming anything Mm -hmm. even if it's shitty yeah so if it was like more general and you don't like call out the business specific brand yeah Mm. um I I do think that's funny though I'm imagining just like the most hilarious Yelp reviews ever you know (laughs) And, um, and to be fair, they're going to be very inexpensive, yeah, remarkably yeah. inexpensive uh, ads. Yeah, I think as long as it's done with humor and levity and yes. not anger. No, no mean-spirited cruelty. stuff. Nothing mean-spirited. I'd like to hear some of them. Yeah, yeah. me too. Me too. Okay. <laughs> so there's there's still got feet on it. Yeah. All right. Thank you for that uh, unpaid advice. You saved me $30 and then you just gave me free 
consulting. I want to say any time, but then you I'm don't. lying. <laughs> don't say any time. <laughs> Thank you, Anya, not Kate's cats, cots. It's been uh, fabulous spending time with you. Thank you. I, I, uh, I feel the same. So we are coming with a force. Yeah. Blessings we are reaping, we course in handful. Oh, we not rise and boast. Yeah, we give thanks like we need it the most. We have to give thanks like we really supposed to be thankful. Blessings all for me life and Yeah. Mm. yeah, yeah. Do, 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 do.